Hey, good morning, Life Center Church. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you so much for joining us online today. I, let me just be honest with you right now. It is so strange to be in a room that is absolutely empty and preach to it. I don't know if we can show you, uh, Stephen might be able to kind of show you a glimpse of what I'm looking at in here, but it's absolutely empty in here. So Ronnie and the guys are going to have to uh, really help me out this morning and, uh, and uh, give me a shout out and a hallelujah and an amen to kind of keep me going this morning. But last week, uh, we had four of our eight staff members test positive for the Rona. And so <laughs> we were like, you know what, what do, what do you do? And then several of our volunteers were going to be out this week. And so we decided to kick off the new year online. It wasn't uh, what we wanted to do, it wasn't ideal, but here we are, and so we're, we're glad you're joining us. You know, here's the good news. Uh, if you've been watching from home over the last several months, uh, you can now come back, okay, because I think we have hit herd immunity, okay? I think all of us have, have gotten it. So next week, January 10th, you heard Shane talk about this, but we're going to be back in person live, and uh, I, I'm just telling you. It's going to be a return of epic proportions. It's going to be a powerful time of, of worship, and you're not going to want to miss it. Guys, I, I can't tell you uh, how excited I am about 2021 and what it holds in store for us as a church, what it holds in store for you personally uh, in your walk with Jesus, because we're kicking this year off in a big way uh, with a big challenge, all right? And uh, on New Year's Day... Uh, we started a journey through the Bible chronologically as a church. And if you didn't start with us on that day, I just want you to know you got plenty of time to catch up with us. In fact, you can start today. We're on day three. Um, but uh, what we're doing during uh, the week, uh, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be uh, reading through a reading plan, the one-year chronological Bible. So if you didn't get a chance to pick up a chronological Bible or a reading plan over the last month or so, uh, you can now download the one-year chronological Bible reading plan on the Uversion app. And uh, you can, can start with us. If you can't figure that out, then call our, our offices and we'll have somebody that helps you figure out how to download that and where to start. And then there's a little deal in the settings that, uh, that says um, to catch up. And so you push that button and it'll catch you up right where we are. But uh, we have planned out our teaching series to go along with the reading plan uh, for the most part. And so what you're reading during the week is going to be preparing you for the message every Sunday. It's going to be a cool, cool deal. Uh, our children's ministry are going to be in line as well. We're all going to be on the same page in 2021. And what I love about reading through the Bible chronologically is that we get a better understanding of the Bible as a story. That, that this book right here, this isn't just a bunch of rules and, and regulations, do's and don'ts. But this is the story of history. It's his story. It's history in the making. God's story, you know. I was thinking about that this last week because many of us grew up memorizing bits and pieces of Scripture like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things, you know, through Christ or Proverbs 3.5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. And so we carry around with us uh, kind of haphazardly a collection of Bible verses with a hope that Scripture will somehow shape our thoughts and our actions. And so we, we seek 
speak, uh, you know, to be biblical-minded in the way we think and the way we do things. But the problem for so many of us is this, is that we have absorbed individual verses in the Bible while failing to understand the larger narrative of Scripture. All right, And when we do that, we run the risk of distorting the Bible teaching. And, and we begin to, to, to shape our, you know, and our, our minds and our thoughts of, of a reader rather than being shaped by the image of Christ. And, and so what we're going to be doing is we're going to kind of be zooming out over the next couple of months and, and seeing this book as a narrative, as a bunch of stories that make up his story. And so to kick off our year, guys, I want to invite you to turn with me today to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to kick off a five-week sermon series called Roots of Reconciliation. And we're, we're going to start with a story of creation. And what I'd like to do today is kind of just walk you through some of these ideas that are so central to who and what it means to be a follower of Christ in the world that we find ourselves in today. And so the angle that I'm going to be uh, taking this morning, probably a little bit different than what you've seen. It's definitely a different type of teaching uh, for, for me. But I promise you, if you'll just tune in, you're going to hear some great, great things, some great stuff. And hopefully your life is going to make a little more sense um, when I'm done today. All right, everybody good? So y'all ready? You ready to go? Guys in the room, we're, we're all ready? All right. Well, we're we're going to start from the very beginning. And, and I want to point out that God created the world in Genesis chapter 1. I think most of us know that. We've read uh, parts of Genesis. But in verses 1 through 10, guys, it gives us the detailed process. What's interesting is that God took nothing and made something. I don't know if that blows your mind like it does me, but it, that absolutely blows my mind that God could take nothing and make something. In verse 2, it tells us that the world was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so verses 3 through 10, darkness turned into light. Order was birthed from chaos. And so at the end of verse 10, here's what it says. And we'll throw it up on the screen for you. It says, and, and God saw that it was good. Guys, as we continue reading the creation story, guys, this phrase, okay, and God saw that it was good, you're going to see it repeated over and over and over. That God would create something, and then he would say, and God saw that it was good. And, and what I want you to see is that the literary style okay, of this particular passage is what scholars call a Mesopotamian creation poem. And you may be going, oh, okay, Pastor, that's great. Why does that matter? Well, guys, most commentators believe that the author of Genesis is trying to tell us something through this particular style of writing. So when you read a phrase that keeps repeating, we might think of like a song or a poem that keeps repeating that you would remember, right? So the author here wants you to remember something. He wants you and I to understand that there is something deeper that is going on, that God makes this and it was good. He makes this, 
and it was good. He makes this and it was good. A lot like a chorus of a song or a beat of a poem. And then in verse 25, it says that God created all the living things and it was good. And then there's a break in the middle of this poem before he finishes. And in verse 31, here's what it says. It says, God saw all that he made and it was very good. Now, in chapter 2, God creates man and he puts them in the middle of this good and he gives them choices about how they're going to live. And so the question that is on their minds is, are they going to live in harmony with the God who made them and partner with God in taking on this good? Or are they going to steer it in a direction of their own choosing? Are they going to make up their own rules? Are they going to try to come up with their own reality? Well, in chapter 3, they make a choice. And as the story goes, Adam and Eve go in their own direction. So Adam and Eve, these first people, they choose to take what God has given them, this good, okay, and take it in a direction of their own. And when they choose to take it outside of the flow and the harmony of what, you know, is good, what happens is that sin enters our world. And that sin was brought on because of a lack of trust. It's understanding that Adam and Eve didn't trust God. God. You know what's extremely important for us to note is that the choices of the first people were so toxic because they were placed in the middle of a complex world or complex web of of interaction with this good world that God had made. And when they sinned, their actions threw everything off course. Everything, water, trees, oceans, animals, it's all one. And so when one part starts to splinter, when one part starts to fracture, the whole thing starts to crumble. That these people, they can't separate themselves from their environment. One part falls out of harmony and everything is affected. It's all linked, right? It's it's almost like lining up a bunch of dominoes and you push one domino and all the other dominoes follow down. They come crashing down. Guys, in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, Paul describes it this way. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So as you can see, everything was connected. Everything was together. And so when one part splinters, all of it splinters. So there's a series of curses that takes place. Now rabbis in Jesus' day called these observations. Now what I would call them are consequences, okay? Because you've chosen this, okay? You've chosen to to live like this, okay? This is what's going to happen now. That's what he's saying. Here's what's going to happen. So in verse 15, Genesis chapter 3, God says this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. So 
In other words, God is saying that this world is about to become a battle zone. Okay, we started with it is good. Now because of the choices that man has made to go some other way than God's way, it is going to be a war, a spiritual war, a physical war, an emotional war, a mental war is going to take place. So in verse 16 to the woman, here's what he says. He says, I will bring great pains in childbearing. With pain, you'll give birth to your children. I will then bring the epidural and you shall rejoice. That's not really what it says, okay? That's totally, nobody's here to laugh at that, okay? That's the, the, the SB interpretation, all right? And then I'll say, hey, I don't feel anything, Okay. I'm just making sure you're awake this morning, all right? Make sure you're tuning in, guys. Here's the idea, okay? The idea is simply this. To the woman, in moments of your greatest joy in childbearing will also be moments of greatest pain. And because of this, this curse, death, and destruction, a distortion of creations, moments of greatest joy will bring with them reminders that this world isn't how God originally created it to be. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. Because then he says this. He says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So it's simply saying that for men and women, there is going to be a serious rift in relationships. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be manipulation. There's going to be control games. One of the observations is that simply because of this fall and the consequences will be that there is a struggle in relationships at the deepest levels. That there is a lack of harmony, a lack of vulnerability, that there's going to be a struggle with the deepest levels of relationships. Y'all tracking with me? Because many of us are... (laughs) are in some messed up relationships, whether it's relationships with your family, relationships with people at work, um, relationship with your spouse, or maybe even somebody um, who you're in a relationship with at church and you know that, that things are, are not what they should be. And when you boil it all down, what I want you to understand today is that it is a result of the fall of man. That's the result of the fall of man. You see, when, when we know the story, Things start to make more sense, don't they? Some of life's deepest questions can be answered by simply knowing the story. Guys, in verse 17, it gives us some insight into the world of men. He says to Adam, he says, Because you've listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. I want you to remember that word because I'm going to come back to it in just a minute. He says painful toil. He says you're going to eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat of your food until you return to the ground since from it... You were taken. He says, from dust you, you are, and to dust you will return. Pretty much telling us that it's going to be a struggle to pay the bills. It's going to be work. 
Now, that word toil here isn't the work or the word of, you know, for kind of a, a work that happens when you're totally in harmony with God and you're doing something that you could do forever. But he's talking about the struggle, the long hours. It's a feeling that you work and work and work and work and then you die. He's saying that there is going to be an ache in your work. And above all that, the most importantly, the biggest thing, the biggest issue here is that fellowship with the creator, fellowship with God is going to be broken. You know, when we know the story, everything starts to make sense, doesn't it? This, this last year makes so much more sense when we have this information, right? That, that life isn't going to always be fairy dust and Hershey kisses all the time. It's just not, Okay. Just this last week, um, I had somebody ask me, or they came up and they, they, they almost more of a statement. They said, if God loves me, then how, you know, how, how, how come we're going through all this pain? And, and it's a great question. It's a great question, guys. And I, I got a text last night, just last night, from, from one of my former assistants at another church who just lost her husband to COVID last night. Also this week, this last week, a 50-year-old father and husband of two college student boys in our community had a massive heart attack and dropped dead. And, and, and you think about things like that and you're like, what in the world? If God loves us, then why do we have all this pain? You know, this, this, a couple weeks ago, I was getting my hair cut at a, a place down in Hendersonville. And the guy who was cutting my hair, we, we started talking about faith. He asked me what I did. And I told him, I'm a pastor. And, and, um, and, and, and he started just openly just sharing with me his story. He said he was a police officer for several years. And he said, in, in seeing the depravity of man, he said, I lost my faith. He said, I, I don't believe anymore. He said, because if there is a God who loves, supposedly loves me, why does he allow us to go through so much pain? And guys, my answer to that question is rooted in the story. It's rooted in the story. This pain wasn't God's original plan. He placed us in a place where he saw that it was good. His desire was for us to experience this good, yet we refused to trust God. And when we refuse to trust God, I want you to understand today, church, that the results are disastrous. They're disastrous. And it all started with the fall. Guys, one of the questions that, that we all have, all of us, even those of us who are believers, is will creation in our world always be like this? Fractured, broken, chaotic, tragic. Is this how my life's always going to be? That's a great question, isn't it? Let's be honest. We all ponder that. Guys, one of the important things to remember about this story in Genesis is that the story of creation begins in chapter 1 with it was not in chapter 3 with the curse. 
Meaning that death, destruction, and the curse are temporary invaders in a world that God created that was good. They come in later in the story that the curse isn't how God made it. Secondly, God has always had a plan. That there is a plan. Central to the Jewish world of Jesus was this belief that God not only hasn't given up on creation, but he is actively at work within it, bringing it back to how he originally intended it to be. Guys, in my study this week, I read how that the prophets had a way of talking about this restoration movement of God. That the prophets spoke of God reclaiming this world. And restoring it back to the way it was originally meant to be. Guys, as you read through the Old Testament, as we're reading chronologically through the Bible, you're going to see that God wants to rescue his people in the midst of tragedy. That's what he wants. Guys, even at the lowest point, I was reading that this week, even in the lowest point in Genesis chapter 8, it says... But God. But God remembered. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were on the ark. What does that tell us? What does that tell you and I when we read that? Guys, it tells us that he hasn't given up on us. It also tells us that human sin didn't, didn't you know, take God by surprise. It wasn't like, oh, oh no, what do I do now? Guys, he gave us the choice to love him. And we chose not to. You ever wondered why God would give us the choice to love him if he knew that we would blow it? Because I think the answer to that question is found really in another question. And the question is this. If God didn't give us the choice, would it be love? Would it be love? It's understanding that God makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes. But here's the deal. He corrects ours. He corrects ours. And this is a beautiful story of love. That's what this book is about. It is about a story of love. The prophets during the Old Testament days said that, that God had this amazing plan to restore the world back to the way it was supposed to be. And part of that restoring process involved God coming to this world and walking with his people. The prophets spoke of this for hundreds and hundreds of years that this was going to take place. All through the Old Testament, we get these glimpses uh, of God coming to earth. Roughly 2,000 years ago, God started the restoring process when he sent his son Jesus to our world. And just this last week, we celebrated Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh, that God became the rescuer. He became the restorer of all things. You know, when we as Christians, we give our hearts and our lives to him, I want you to understand we join a movement that is bigger and wider than the universe itself. That we become a part of God's restoring process. Guys, a lot of times we talk about Christianity as a ticket to heaven. 
That's how a lot of churches articulate it. But the reality is that scripture doesn't talk about people going somewhere else at the end of time as we know it. It talks about God coming here and making all things new. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth that comes together. Rather than God rescuing people from earth, all right, the creator God would finally bring heaven and earth together in a great new act of new creation. Completing the original creative purpose by healing the entire world. And you're like, Pastor, that sounds great, but why is that important for, for me to know? Why is that important for all of us to know? Guys, our hope for the new creation is a hope that is grounded in something that happened in the midst of a broken world. The resurrection that we talk about reveals that death is not the last word. Not, 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 you know, our death or death of, uh, just death of this world, guys. A, a new power has entered history and this power will not be defeated. It will not be defeated. Not even death can defeat it. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, Peter says this. He says, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so what I want you to understand today is that giving your life to Christ is about a decision to choose God's way of living now. It's not just about someday. It's not just about heaven. Salvation is living more and more with harmony with God and a process that's going to go on not just someday but now. It's living now. There's this ongoing need for us to return to the cross to be reminded of our brokenness and dependence on God, which leads to forgiveness. Guys, it's understanding this morning that the point of the cross isn't just about forgiveness. But forgiveness leads us to something much bigger, which is reconciliation. That God isn't just interested in covering your sins. God wants to make us into the people we were originally created to be. That's what this is about. It's not just the removal of what's been held against us. It is God pulling us into the people he originally had in mind when he made us. That's how big salvation is. Some of us have a small mentality of what salvation is. Salvation will blow your mind if you really understand it. It changes you. You can't be the same. It's not just about heaven. It's about being the people God originally created you to be. Placed in a place where God says it is good. That's what it's about. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, he says, he says, For God was pleased to have all of the fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Guys, Paul uses an interesting word here. He uses the word reconcile. Guys, reconcile means 
to make peace where it has been lacking. To bring back together. To mend what was torn. To fix what was broken. That's what it means to reconcile. To fix it. To bring it back together. So Paul wants to make sure we grasp that this is a much larger issue than just human souls. That your salvation is bigger than you. And he uses the phrase, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Because he wants us to see that this is all of creation. All things really means everything. Everything. In Jesus, God is putting it all back together. Guys, in the first century, the claim of restoration had numerous social, political, and economic dimensions to it. I want you to understand, it wasn't just about religion. Guys, in the first century, the world was ruled by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was ruled by Caesars. And so that the Caesars claimed that they were sent by the gods to renew creation. I don't know if that sounds familiar or not. Augustus, he believed that he was the son of, of, of the god Apollo. He was God incarnate on earth. That the prince of peace who had come to restore all of creation. Guys, one of the popular slogans that they use for Caesar is there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved than that of Caesar. Another phrase they used was Caesar is Lord. Guys, throughout the, the empire, the Caesars called on people to worship them as divine saviors of humankind. And the city that acknowledged Caesar as Lord was called Ecclesia. I don't know if that hits home for you. You understand that? But it's understanding that everyone relied on the Caesars for life. Everything. Everything. And it was at this particular time in the world... That this Jesus movement exploded among an ethnic minority in a remote corner of the empire. These people, these Christians claimed that their leader was a rabbi who had announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. Had been crucified, had been raised from the dead and appeared to his followers. Guys, And one of their favorite slogans was Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? Think about that for just a minute. If Jesus is Lord... Then what does that say about Caesar? So these first Christians were subverting an entire order of an empire, claiming that there was a Lord and that he wasn't Caesar. And, and, and what did they call their gatherings? Ecclesia. A word that translates for us in the English language as church. And another favorite slogan was, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved than that of Jesus. So to join these people was to risk your life. <laughs> and not only this, but they made claims about the whole way that society was structured. Isn't that interesting? To be a part of a church was to join in on a countercultural society that was partnering with God to create a new kind of culture right under the noses of Caesars. That these Christians made sure everybody in their midst had enough to eat. 
They cared for one another. They loved one another. The resurrection was not just this abstract spiritual concept like many of us have, but it was a concrete social economic reality. That they understood that the purpose of the church was to support each other, to provide for one another. Guys, I'm learning that the church is at its best when it's given itself away to one another. And man, that is such a foreign concept for many of us, isn't it? Guys, the, the reason that the church was so impactful in the first century is because it impacted their lives. All of them. They met one another's needs. And, and the fact is this, is that the, the outside society saw this and they're like, what in the world is this about? Their lives were transformed in that moment. Every part of their life. Not just their religious part of their life. Not just their, you know, going to church part of life. No, listen. He changed everything. Everything about them. That's what it looked like. Guys, in the days of the first church, we rarely find Christians. It's interesting. You look at it. You rarely find, you know, places in Scripture where people are trying to prove that the resurrection actually occurred. For one, a lot of people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Many of those people, they were still alive. So if people had a question or had any doubts, they could just talk to the people who actually saw it happen, okay? Who were actually there. But there's another reason as well. If, if you look at history, I was looking at this last week, but everybody's got in the first century raised from the dead. He did. So to claim the resurrection had occurred was nothing new. Julius Caesar himself reported to have ascended to the right hand of God after his death. So to try to prove that there was an empty tomb wouldn't have gotten them very far with an average citizen in the Roman Empire. Because they had all heard it before. They had heard it before. Guys, that's why so many passages about the early church deal with possessions and deal with meals and generosity. They understood that people were rarely persuaded by arguments, but they're often persuaded by experiences, living, breathing, flesh and blood experiences of the resurrection community of people whose lives are changed. That's what this is about. To the outside world, it was less about proving and more about inviting people to experience this community of Jesus followers for themselves. God, may we be that kind of church. May we be those kind of people. Because being a part of the church is becoming a part of restoring this world back to the way it was originally meant to be from the very beginning. That your salvation is not an end in itself. The way of Jesus is a journey, not a destination. And I know that's hard for some of us to hear. Do I believe absolutely that, that there is a heaven? Absolutely I do. But part of heaven and experiencing heaven is now. Jesus said the kingdom of, of heaven is now, is here. That you are becoming a part of the kingdom of heaven. And someday God is going to make it all new. We're going to experience the fullness. Guys, at the end of the story, we see God restoring everything. 
And as a church, part of our job as believers and a family is to bring heaven here until all things are restored and brought back to the way they were originally meant to be. We've got to see the bigger picture. We've got to see the the bigger picture. Ultimately, we as a body are to show the world hope. Not blind hope that pretends everything is all right and refuses to acknowledge how things are. But the kind of hope that comes from staring pain and suffering right in the eyes and refusing to believe that this is all there is. (laughs) That God has so much more. And it all starts by us going back and looking at the story. And knowing that you are now a part of the story. You're a part of the story. You're a part of restoring this world back to the way it was originally meant to be. Last time I looked, we're not to Revelation yet. It seems like it sometimes. But we're not. And so may we be that kind of church. May we be that kind of people who are part of restoring the world back to the way God originally minute to be I'm going to ask right where you at let's bow our heads let's close our eyes Ronnie's going to come and lead us in in one final song today but what is God saying to you today maybe he is he's challenging you to to get in and, and read the story for yourself for you to, to, to hear and read the words of God yourself and, and, and to see yourself today as a part of that story What is he calling you to do? Father, I I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for your story, that it's more than just a story. Your word is more than just a, a bunch of rules and regulations to rain on a party. It's a beautiful story of love. A beautiful rescue story. And the cool thing about it, Lord, is that you have allowed us, you have allowed us to be a part of it. God, may we see our our salvation as more than just a ticket to heaven. We're grateful. That we get to avoid a place, a real place called hell. But God, we get to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. God, may you write your story with my life today. God, for those who are watching today, God, I pray that you would continue to write your beautiful story with their lives. God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. God, we look forward to what you're going to teach us, God, over the coming weeks through this series. God, you know how difficult it is for me to to, to follow a a pattern of, of, of study for an entire year. God, I'm a guy who is kind of spare the moment. I'm a guy who kind of go, who goes with, with the, the, the vision that you give me in a moment. But God, Lord, this year you've given us a long-term vision. 
And God, it's, it's stretching me as a teacher. It's stretching me as a pastor. And I pray that for each and every one of us in our church, God, that we would, we would be stretched. That we would understand your word in a, in a deeper, deeper way, Father. 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your, in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks for the reason we have hope. Church, I love you today. Pray that you've been challenged. Pray that your life is different because of what you've heard today.